and these are the subjects that we'll be chatting about with Neil and Tom. Are we ready to go with topic number one? And that is the tweet of Emmett Kennedy, who did a lot of work in producing the statistics that Godolphin spent uh, just under 30 million at the sales in 2022. And thus far, they've earned returns of around 130, 540 grand on those horses. Um, who would like to begin on this particular point? I, I mean, I did see that and I thought, um, I, I must admit my initial reaction, was, I mean, it was good work by Emmett. He'd put some proper homework into that. Uh, my initial reaction was to think, oh God, you know, is, should racing be highlighting that? We talked earlier about book one, how it's all about buying dreams. Mm. Uh, the thing about dreams is that they can be shattered, can't they? And, you know, the reason that people pay exorbitant prices for these uh, these thoroughbreds is that they have a chance of you know getting the derby winner or whatever the chances are that's not going to happen and, and you know Emma said earlier about all five classics being won by homebreds mm. and to an extent you know buying anything at the sales is not going to get you a, a classic winner uh, a lot of years so I, I sort of thought you know should should we really be you know, it's this tweet slightly rubbing Sheikh Mohammed's nose in it, really. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should shut up about it. But uh, I mean, I, I, I did see another tweet that somebody said of uh, now we should do bloodstock agents and rank them in order. You know, we have the trainers ranked in order. We have the jockeys ranked in order. You can see for every pound you bet on each jockey who wins you money and who loses you money. You know, maybe we need to see which agents are actually uh, good any good at the sales. Well, I'm going to turn down presenters and pundits. That <laughs> yeah, game, we don't need to start with that. The game is over yeah. there. <laughs> um, but Tom, I, I guess if you're in mitigation for a big operation like Godolphin, you'd say that they only need one of those horses to prove successful and become a stallion, and that's the money back. Um, absolutely. And I think, I think that's the... Um, the thing with operations like a, a Godolphin and a Coolmore and things, it's it's that, yes, vast, vast amounts of money are spent. And whilst obviously this time it hasn't directly linked into vast amounts of money mm. coming back and success, but it's not, I don't think it's as sort of linear as that. I think, you know, you have those well-bred horses in the bunch alongside the home-bred horses as well. Yeah. And it, it all culminates to success, not, uh, and I know it's a, it's a, it's probably a sort of open way of looking at it, but I think it's it would be very easy to say that that that, that money hasn't um, directly led to, to success, but I think mm. it has over Just a period of time. Over a period of time, and you know the the operations like that don't stay afloat without it working. So clearly, um, it doesn't look good when you write it down on paper in that sort of direct term, but actually it's it's. It's been a phenomenal operation for many, many years, and there's a reason that it works, and it, there's a reason that they've been so successful for so long. Well, it, exactly. It, you know, they've, the, the fact that they've spent so much money on those stallions that they turn from good racehorses into commercial prospects, whether it's a Pinatubo, a Gayeth, an Earthlight, the, the money is coming in. It's not like it's, it doesn't make financial business sense for them to spend like that, because as Richard Hannon was on earlier saying, well, when they've got these horses that they've invested in as stallions, they're going to have to buy for the breeders because it's part of the marketing tool. So it's understandable why that sort of money is being spent. Um, the next topic uh, we're ready to go is on the right to bet, Neil. Mm. And I'll, I'll start with you on this, obviously, because 
the industry. Yeah, Tom's, not, Tom's not betting as much <laughs> as he used to. So. He's aware of the topics. That's one good thing about young Tom is he's aware of all the topics. Uh, and one of the most important things is obviously the, the Gambling Commission's paper and proposals. Yeah. Um, and the right to bet. Uh, it's not too late no, to the make B a contribution. So the BHA have put out this kind of questionnaire. Uh, for people to fill in and I believe uh, I'm not sure if it's midnight but it's tomorrow Monday yeah. is the last chance to fill it in so uh, do it today if you haven't done it already I did um, hear on the grapevine that uh, they, they weren't sure how many people would fill it in they thought they might get a couple of thousand or a few thousand uh, apparently they've got over 10,000 already so they're pretty pretty pleased about how that's going and really the idea is to pressure um, the Gambling Commission into realising how many people are going to be affected by affordability checks. Uh, you know, Andrew Rhodes has said that only 3% of, uh, of gamblers are going to uh, face the prospect of affordability checks. And of course, the problem with that 3% number is A, he won't say where he gets that number from, but B, um, it looks as though he's counting 3% of all accounts. Now, all accounts includes people who have dormant accounts or maybe just bet once a year or whatever. Uh, people that subscribe to Racing TV or people that buy the Racing Post or just people generally that bet on horse racing are likely to be betting more often, more regularly and slightly larger than average amounts. People that bet on horse racing bet slightly more than people that bet on football per bet. Um, and they, they, because they tend to bet in singles rather than multiple yeah. bets and stuff, uh, that, that tends to be a bit higher. So actually, you know, the effect that it's going to have on, on horse racing, the industry through the funding that it gets from bookmakers is going to be dreadful. And, and we need to keep pushing. And this is the time to be pushing. You know, I've heard some people, I know we've gone over the time. I, I meant to say right. this before. I, I've heard some people say, well, you know, why are the BHA only doing this now at the 11th hour? Well, the 11th hour is the time to do it. You know, if, you'd have, if they'd have issued this survey two years ago, that was about nine gambling ministers ago. <laughs> yes. You know, good luck with, with lobbying yeah. Manira Mirza, who, who was Boris Johnson, remember him? Yeah. Uh, you know, his, his kind of main, uh, you know, advisor. We don't, we don't, the person we need to be lobbying right now is gambling person. minister Stuart Andrew yeah. and, and, and um, Andrew Rhodes at the, uh, at the Gambling Commission. Yeah. And so they're the people in the job right now. This is the time to do it. Do it today if you haven't done it already. And it's an easier questionnaire to fill out than what the Gambling Commission asked you to do, which took me forever, um, but a lot easier to do than yeah, right to yeah, bet one. Yeah, yeah I thought that. it was quite well written. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, next topic. I think we've already touched on it already, Tom, but is Frankie retiring? And, and what I'm going to ask you to do is put yourself in Frankie's shoes and consider all the all the options, you know, possibility of riding in America, what he's he's done so far in 2023, all the winners, etc., and all the farewells that he's had, and you're in his shoes, what you're doing? Um, following through with the end of the season, obviously, as he's, as he's promised he would. Um, look, if I, was in, if I was in his shoes, to be quite honest, I'd, I'd be heading straight over to America, like he did last winter, and had such a great time, and so, uh, sort of openly said how much he enjoys it. Um, there, it's a very different environment, very different scene, and, and clearly, clearly he likes it there. Um, I, to me, I think uh, <laughs> he'd be going back there. He'd be getting to sort of February, March time, start seeing some of the two-year-olds just looking a bit quick. Um, 
one or two would win, you'd be sucked into riding them, and then you're going to be coming around to Ascot fairly swift. And if he if he does if he does I don't know the Japan Cup, Champions Day, Hong Kong, whatever, yeah. and then goes to America for I don't know two months or something like that. Does that count as retiring? <laughs> I mean, uh, if he doesn't ever ride in the UK again after Champions Day, would, uh, can we kind of say he didn't pull the wool over our eyes with all this retirement nonsense? I suppose it's a UK retirement, but I, look, in, in my mind, I would be, well, I, I think it'd be very hard to be riding those horses into the new year in America, knowing that those some of those two-year-olds that eventually get to the track obviously not that early, are going to then be coming for Ascot, to which you know they have strong chances, and, and I think it would be very, very hard have to say Have you bought no. a ticket, Tom, for his £500 dinner that he's organising? <laughs> I notice it's sponsored by um, Judmont and Coolmore and Ascot Racecourse and York Racecourse and the Racing Post. and I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like if I paid to come along to that and it's a retirement dinner or I'd sponsor it, and then he doesn't retire, I might feel like that's a bit weird. Mm. I don't know. Do you think he's changed his mind during the year? I don't know, but I don't think he'll give you a refund on the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't bought a ticket yet. I was hoping for a free <laughs> Oh, tremendous. Um, we will be talking to Frankie at some point, <laughs> unless we've put him off coming on to talk about it. Um, and we're going to talk next you about... You like a nice dinner. Surely you're getting a free oh, dinner out of it. Any free food. <laughs> Lots of gravy. Uh, fixtures, premierisation, mm. hanging over the sport of horse racing as a trial for the new year, the new fixture list. And it was noticeable this week, Chester in the news, they, are, they purchased a couple of fixtures, one from Newmarket and one from Catterick. The Newmarket fixture is a call fixture, mm. which will allow them to hold a position on a Saturday, yes. uh, Saturday afternoon. Are we going to see more of this type of finessing, manoeuvring, do you think? Well, presumably, but I, 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 we talked about this in the week, didn't we, mm. me and you, off air, because I, I I, didn't really get it. Is the idea that Chester is sort of getting round the premierisation and slightly, I don't know, slightly putting one over on the BHA, is that your feeling? Well, I, I thought it was Chester fleshing out their fixtures to hold the amount of money, basically, they're going to try and bring in, um, because they're going to lose that that slot, uh, which is considered the the, the, the the most attractive slot on a Saturday mm. afternoon. So if they attract more fixtures, more turnover, it'll negate the impact of premierisation. What, what's your take, Tom? I, I thought it was a it was a really interesting one that Chester's the track to do it because, um, you know, within within sort of the even just the jockeys um, sort of quarters. Chester is notoriously fantastic for us. You know, they have great prize money, great facilities. We all enjoy going to Chester. And for them to have shelled out to be within that slot was, was you know, it was a, a pointer towards what's to come in mm. that they, was, they, they think it's important enough to, to do that. Um, now, I, look, I'm not sure whether there's anything in it, but obviously Chester has Chester bet, and that's on-course punters, which primarily to, to me that doesn't quite understand the whole um, the whole scenario like I, I would have always imagined Chester as being well if they were pushed to a Saturday Saturday later in the day would it really matter because they have the Chester bet on course mm. betting but clearly that sort of course slot is so important for them 
to have, have forked out and and I don't really totally get it I used to be an on-course bookmaker at Chester I went there every meeting for three years running uh, about 20 years ago and um, it always struck me that it wouldn't make much difference if the if the racing started at four in the afternoon and ran through until seven in the evening or something uh, I'm pretty sure they would get pretty much the same crowds. Yeah. People mm. people generally went to the races and then spilled over into the town in the evening. Yeah. They would just do that slightly later. Yeah. I also don't really understand why Chester, on those really busy days, sometimes where Chester can be a little bit overlooked when there's York and Ascot and Newmarket on on the same day, uh, why they don't take the Sunday, you know. I just It seems to me that Sunday would be a great time for Chester to be racing. I, I, I don't know. I mean, presumably they know their business, but it, and they've been prepared to spend the money this week for that reason. But um, it's only a trial, this premierisation. Exactly. I'm slightly surprised they just didn't say, well, we'll give it a year and see how it goes. And if we have to move one fixture to yeah. Sunday and one to the kind of tea time slot, uh, you know, we don't. maybe it'll work out really well. Maybe it will trial and then feedback is is a, is a good way to go good way to do something different try and make the sport better anyway um the irish gambling bill has been hovering over the sport of racing mm. in ireland like the sword of damocles mm. um uh, jesse harrington lending her voice to concerns that people are gonna well racing tv rmg at the races, Sky Sports racing, they're going to step away from the sport should this gambling bill and a ban, a hard ban mm. on gambling advertising between 5.30 a.m. and 9.00 p.m. Come into, come into force. How serious is this threat to the sport? Well, I think, I, it's definitely super serious. Uh, it looks as though the gambling minister in Ireland um, slightly doesn't understand the arguments being put to him or he's just not going to be swayed by those arguments. Um, I mean, to step away from racing and imagine that we're not fans of racing and that we don't really know much about racing, I guess it is a bit odd that you can turn on daytime television to watch a sporting event and the commentators and the people involved in that event are talking about betting. That is kind of odd, isn't it? If you switched on, I don't know, the athletics or the footy or something, and they're talking about getting your accumulators on because they kick off in 10 minutes. Mm. Uh, that would be a bit weird, I think. And, and so we are super lucky in racing that we're allowed to do that. But racing has this kind of catch-22 where uh, some like top-name sponsors won't come into racing because they don't want to be sort of associated with gambling. Uh, and so racing has to be kind of reliant on having bookmaker advertising because a lot of premier, premier companies don't want to be associated with racing for that reason. Um, but the more that they fall back on bookmakers, the, the less chance they've got of getting those companies. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there has to come a day where racing... It, it's all, in all the time I've been involved in racing, it's just been a given that betting and racing are intrinsically linked and that link can never be broken. I, I don't know, maybe it'll just have to be broken if the gambling minister in Ireland's not going to move. I, I must admit, it's one of the things that sort of bugged me over a long period of time, my time in the sport, is the fact that racing has often tried to extricate itself from gambling in some, some quarters. Mm. Some people have wanted to suggest that racing could exist 
Uh, if you think back to Mark Johnston, for example, yeah. saying about racing and betting being entirely... But there were times where the sponsorship of the derby, they were saying, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to have a bookmaker sponsor. I think as long as... I, I would love it if we just did away with that and just understood that racing and gambling go like that. And they, they have always mm. done throughout history. So if that's the case, then it should always be looked at differently to all other sports. Racing isn't like football, it isn't mm. like cricket, it isn't like golf and other sports, tennis or whatever, because it started off with the basis of gambling. Mm. You know, that's, that's what it began for. Yeah. So it's, it goes hand in hand. And you definitely don't have to convince me of that. I'm just wondering whether well, I just want the to an outsider that argument just is fine and, and well, that goes. I, I think the sport should be, should be proud of the... So obviously there are issues that come with everything and, and you deal with those issues and you try and, mm. and solve them. But you sh there should be no embarrassment for the fact that racing and gambling go hand in hand t together because that's how the sport has survived. For, that's how it originated and that's how it survived. So um, I, I feel we get into trouble when we start to think that we are like other sports. And I think mm. other, other, like country, other, other countries have shown it so well in that, you know, you can, <laughs> there can be responsible gambling and you can have fun with it. I think Australia, look, obviously I've been extremely fortunate to spend a lot of time there, but you go racing, you see the crowd and... You know, Saturday is, um, you know, it's for the boys to get on the punt and everybody mm. to go racing and yeah. and 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 have have a bet and you know and, and even at the pub, you know, they have the TAB machines. There. Yes. So it's a very different yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. But it's but it's a it's a pleasurable thing. It's not shunned. It's it's for for enjoyment and as you say, it's it's yeah. racing goes it's hand in hand. It's definitely part of the national culture of Australia. Yeah. Definitely. 100%. Yeah. And look, I know we've we are. We and Ireland have a different culture to Australia, but we try, we're trying so hard to deny, de deny sort of racing away from betting. But it's it's, it's, it's not like not like others. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, one last topic on on talking points, and that's the Racing Post affordability campaign. Um, there've been the naysayers, the cynics. <laughs> I've noticed, I just, I just noticed recently a lot of people saying, and this is nobody specific I'm thinking of, I've just seen it come up dozens of times on Twitter, uh, which is not the real world, um, but uh, people saying, oh, the racing post, they're not balanced when they're talking about affordability. Every headline is about affordability and uh, they're never giving the other side of it. Since when did newspapers have to be balanced on everything they do? <laughs> you know, the BBC has a charter and they're supposed to be unbiased. Uh, whether they are or not is a, is another matter. But the, uh, you know, most of the daily newspapers in this country are heavily biased one way or the other politically. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you look at racing and gambling, if you look at the Guardian, for example, uh, they have a journalist there called Rob Davies. Uh, he has a, and I'm sure if he was sitting here, I'd say it to his face, and I'm sure he wouldn't really mm. be able to argue against it. He is basically anti-gambling. He doesn't really agree with gambling. The Guardian recently banned taking advertising from gambling companies. They don't do that anymore. Um, you know, why shouldn't the Racing Post be partisan? This affordability stuff is a threat to our sport. You know, they're literally, it could be bye-bye racing. Mm if this goes through in you know, the way it could go through. Uh, why should the Racing Post not fight for the sport of racing? It's called the Racing Post, for God's sake. Yeah. There, it, and, and people say, you know, another thing people have been saying, which I've noticed quite a lot, is to say, well, uh, you know, I didn't see them fighting like this when it was uh, talking about bookmaker restrictions. 
Now, obviously, bookmaker restrictions are quite annoying. They definitely happen. Uh, you know, it happens to a lot more people than bookmakers would admit to. And, uh, you know, I have some thoughts on that. But first of all, to say that the Racing Post never talk about bookmaker restrictions is nonsense, because they do. But secondly, I don't think the Racing Post would do a massive campaign against bookmakers, mm. because obviously, the Racing Post relies on bookmaker advertising and is a partner in bookma with bookmakers through their app and whatever. Of course. Like, that's just a fact of life. If you don't want that to happen and you don't believe that the Racing Post should be intrinsically linked with bookmakers, well, there won't be a Racing Post anymore. You know, the sport is damn lucky that when you go into a news agent in this country, yeah. you see racing all over the place because there's racing posts in the news agent. You know, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, Rishi, not so much in Tom's, you know, we had two printed daily racing, racing newspapers yeah. every day. That's incredible for a niche minority yeah. sport that we should have two daily newspapers covering it. And one was like, a broadsheet, Tom. Yeah. A broadsheet. Incredible. What was a broadsheet? You know, it's almost like the people that are criticising the Racing Post in this way yeah. don't want the Racing Post to exist. The Racing Post is a really good thing for racing. And I just think it's a bit ridiculous to be criticising it for standing up to racing. Good on the Racing Post, I say, for going on this affordability really strongly. It should be on the front page every single day. Good on Neil Channing for his contribution to Talking Points as uh, Tom Marquand as well. It's been fascinating hearing what they've both had to say uh, over this week's Talking Points.